Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, September 1st, 2020, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Our special guest this evening is Maria Gary Reynolds, who is an artist, author, Reiki master healer and teacher, reverend, and psychic intermediary. Maria has had many art shows around the country and also has taught in many cities about being intuitive, what it is and how to recognize who you are. She always knew she was born a starseed person, but it would take years to fully understand she was from a Pleiadian family. It took many years of classes and courses in college to help her understand her talents to figure out those feelings of knowing she carried for so many years. Her latest book, On the Wings of My Dragonfly, speaks of the power that we bring to Earth when we learn about starseed and our other star families in the universe who are our ancestors. That is when you discover why you're so different with so many talents to help Earth. And you can check out her website, which is Maria, M-A-R-I-A, Gary, G-A-R-A-Y, Reynolds, R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S, dot com. She's got some great artwork, lots of nice things to look at. So at the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd also like to thank Jada and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment for Maria. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's continual dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here and you'll get our show notices if you enable those. Our main website is starseedhotline.com and the Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And please be aware that due to an ongoing massive global Starseed activation, our waiting lists are currently at about six months. But that will start shrinking now because our new team of astrologers are online doing a great job and helping us as well as our Starseed community. And those waiting times are going to start decreasing and i think it's interesting to note once again that this awakening started well over a year before our current global crisis and all of you are bringing more light to this world which is so sorely needed and one more thing remember if you have a birthday coming up you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power the great manifestational ability You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And that only takes a few days. It's just the timing chart. But if you want the Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, you'll, you'll need to order it at least six months ahead of your birthday so that you will have that information before the 10 hours happens. So first up tonight, 
Uh, it is Anastasia, and I'm looking on the switchboard for you. Uh, let me get that. Okay, get that going. But first, it's the Starseed News. <laughs> oh, good evening, Ariel. Hello, everybody. How nice to be with you. The week's just flying, and thank you for the applause. I want to be deserving. It's a great thing. Thank you. It always makes yeah, me I smile. Just, I love doing that. It just gives me a little <laughs> chuckle every time. It is really good. Well, um, thank you for that. And I want to start off tonight by telling you that we're going to have a near-Earth asteroid tonight. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, it may have come by a little bit earlier today. Actually, I don't know the actual time. It was scheduled for today is all I can tell you. But um, it's asteroid 011ES4, and it's coming by us at a very close shave, 0.3 lunar distance. Um, so really close. They say it's not going to hit, though, not going to hit Earth. But if it did, it would be the size, they fig- figure the impact would be similar to the aerial explosion over Chablinsk in Russia. So, but it's, it's not going to. And nevertheless, it's a close shave, and we are having a lot a lot of close asteroid flybys these days. And tonight there is a full corn moon. I love the sound of that. Now, this one only happens every three years. Actually, the corn moon itself only happens once every three years. It's the final full moon of summer. It will rise bright in tonight's sky, knowing, like I said, it's called the corn moon. Now, it's given its name by the Algonquin tribes in, from the northeastern United States. They named it for the time of year when they harvest crops like corn and pumpkins and squash and beans and wild rice. Now, this full moon is also known as the fruit moon and the barley moon in Europe and the hungry ghost moon in China and the honey full moon for Buddhists in Bangladesh and Thailand. And for Hindus in India, it marks the start of Petri Paksha, which honors their ancestors, and they do that through food offerings. Now, typically, September's full moon is called the harvest moon. Obviously, I bet you know why. And it is the closest to the fall equinox on September 22nd. But every third year, a full moon comes around in October that's closer to the equinox, allowing September's full moon to use its traditional name, the corn moon. So this year, our harvest moon won't arrive until the 1st of October, and that means October will get two full moons, The other one, the second one, on October 31st, Halloween, will be called a blue moon. So tonight, uh, the corn moon will rise just after sunset, reaching peak illumination at 1.22 a.m. Eastern. The moon will appear full for about three days, and sky watchers tonight and for the next couple of days may also be able to see Jupiter, Saturn, and Mercury in the sky at night. Now, according to the customs of various religions and cultures during this month, You might want to gather your fruits, vegetables, and other staples. You might want to avoid war, remember your ancestors, ask for forgiveness, and let go of your grudges. All of these rituals and expressions are associated with the corn moon, and it's all very nice. Why don't we do that? It's a great thing to do. Well, NASA researchers are tracking a what they call a splitting dent in Earth's magnetic field. Let me explain. They tell us that this is a small but evolving dent in Earth's magnetic field that can cause big headaches for satellites. Now, Earth's magnetic field, you all know this, acts like a protective shield around the planet. 
It repels and traps charged particles from the sun. But over South America and the southern Atlantic Ocean, there is an unusually weak spot in the field called the South Atlantic Anomaly, or SAA for short. And this allows these particles, these cosmic particles, to dip closer to the surface than is normal. And particle radiation in this region can knock out onboard computers and interfere with the data collection of satellites that pass through it, which is a key reason why NASA scientists are wanting to track and study the anomaly, or so they say that's the key reason. It's also of interest to NASA scientists because um, there are changes in the Earth's magnetic field in that location. They want to know how this magnetic field is affecting the Earth's atmosphere and as an indicator of what's happening in the magnetic field around the Earth and deep inside the planet, since that's where the magnetic field originates. Now, currently, this anomaly doesn't create any visible impacts in our daily life on the surface, but they tell us that recent observations and forecasts show that the region is expanding westward and continuing to weaken in intensity. Mm. It is also splitting. Recent data shows the anomaly's valley, or its region of minimum field strength, has split into two lobes, creating additional challenges for satellite missions and more questions about what it might do next. Interesting. Well, let's talk about the home front in the United States. Um, boy, this is one of those stories that I thought you ought to know about, and um, so I'm going to share it with you. I think we all ought to know about this. There's a lot of news going on. Not all of it's positive. We try to keep to the positive, but I think there's information that's also critical for you to be aware. So um, this is a one-day-old article that just came out yesterday. And uh, the University of Alabama is telling professors there to keep quiet about a coronavirus outbreak afflicting the student body. This is according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The administration at the college is saying, do not tell the rest of the class. They underlined the word not in an email. And an online COVID-19 dashboard reports that there are almost 1,400 known cases across the university system. The administration says, quote, if the established rules for masks and physical distancing are followed in the classroom, then the risk of transmission from the positive student is minimal and it is not necessary to inform the rest of the class that they may have been in the same room as a positive classmate. For privacy reasons, the instructor should not announce to the class that a student in the class has tested positive. Now, the professors are very unsettled by this. They call it the order to not talk. According to one professor who said, a lot of my colleagues and people I've talked to, they're terrified. Every statement, at least for the last month, has been about this plan. They've got this plan. It makes it feel a lot of this for show, especially when they don't want you to confirm that their distancing and masks are not working. The AP, Associated Press, reported earlier this week about the rising number of cases at the University of Alabama and their plan uh, and the city's plan to shutter bars for two weeks. Now, the Washington Post is calling this one of the largest coronavirus clusters reported at any academic institution since the start of the school year. And a university official says the outbreak is particularly high among sororities and fraternities. 
and around the world. Let's take a look at what's happening uh, in other areas. The coronavirus has led to record fall in the consumption of Earth's resources. I think that's excellent news. And in the pursuit of this story, I learned about something I knew nothing about, which, of course, isn't so hard to do after all. I don't know all that much. But have you all ever heard of Earth Overshoot Day? Probably not. Uh Uh-uh. Well, you know, we know what Mother's Day is and Labor Day and all that. You know, it's coming up. Um, Earth Overshoot Day is the day on which human consumption exceeds the amount that nature can regenerate in a year. Think about what we consume and the Earth's ability to provide. And think about it in terms of like a bank account. Let's say we have, I don't know, what do you want to say, $25,000 in the bank, and that's all we have, and we've got to use it. That's our yearly amount. Okay, that's all we get for the year. And so we have to budget what we have. And let's say by, in some cases, March, and in some cases, July, we've spent it all. Whoops, then we have no money left for the rest of the year. There's a word for that. (laughs) You know, that is not a good situation to be in. Well, when it comes to the planet and what the planet is capable of providing for its inhabitants, the same principle applies. The Earth can only produce so many goods within a year's time. And so this is starting to be measured. And this year... The amount of human consumption versus the amount that nature can regenerate, uh, the tally went dry on August 22nd. But the good news is that's three weeks later than it did last year, meaning we're consuming less. Earth Overshoot Day um, has been coming around earlier and earlier every single year as our ecological footprint has increased. And last year the consumption of Earth resources, met the limit of its production in the month of July. So the world went bankrupt consumption-wise in July. But according to the Global Footprint Network that calculates Earth Overshoot Day, the coronavirus crisis has led to a 9.3% reduction in humanity's ecological footprint. And this is the greatest single-year shift in Earth Overshoot Day since it was first calculated way back in 1970. Now, despite the record contraction, the Global Footprint Network warns us that humanity will still need 1.6 planets to sustain itself at the current rate. They said, this year's sudden ecological footprint contraction cannot be mistaken for progress. And as part of its research, this network tries to suggest how humanity can live within the planet's ecological budget by design rather than by disaster. And what they do is they highlight food production, transport, and power generation as human endeavors that are in need of transformation. And they have produced a chart. And in this chart are the countries of the world. And I will share with you, let's see, the estimates. Um, The worst offending country in the world is uh, Qatar. And the least offending world uh, country, excuse me, is Indonesia, who uses the least resources, Um, and they tell us that if, for instance, I don't know if this is practical, but I'm going on with the article, that if global meat consumption fell by 50%, uh, Earth Overshoot Day would be pushed back 17 days. And it estimates that a 50% reduction in car miles would delay the mile marker by 13 days. 
assuming that a third of car miles were replaced with public transportation and walking and cycling. Now, as I've told you, the worst offending nation this year is oil-rich Qatar, whose overshoot day has long since passed. It it fell on the 11th of February. They spent their wad really early. And at the other end of the table is Kyrgyzstan. I didn't say that right. Anyway, uh, excuse me. That isn't expected to overshoot until the end of December. Um, the U.K. met its quota on the 16th of May and the United States March 14th. So we could do better. <clears throat> and speaking of consumption, you all know how I feel about plastic. And um, I think it's time that we think about what else we can do besides using plastic. I've always been excited to report to you stories about um, ocean cleanup. It's really exciting to learn that there's so many people out there cleaning up the oceans. But now there's an article that came out that says, it's too late to clean up the ocean, so what now? Really, how disappointing. This is one article, and I'm going to share it with you. And hopefully, maybe we'll inspire some starseed, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Approximately 97% of planet Earth is covered by oceans. So one would think that we might do more to keep our marine life healthy. But that, of course, has not been the case. Plastic spills from landfills uh, are hurting marine wildlife and hurting us. Now you know studies have shown that every organ in the human body now contains microplastics. But while scientists are telling us it's too late to address the problem by attempting, attempting to clean up our oceans directly, which I wouldn't want anyone to stop, but this is what they say, they're telling us now the solution has to be to tackle the larger issues from the source on land. They say to us, and this is according to an exotoxicologist at the Laboratory of Microbial Oceanography, he said, it is too late to clean up this mess. Plastic is everywhere in the ocean, and the waste on the surface accounts for only a tiny fraction of the total. We must first tackle pollution at the source by producing less of this material and recycling it far more efficiently. He went on to say, We need to change our way of life and make much more rational use of chemistry, in particular by doing away with medicines that we don't need simplifying our chemical formulations, especially cosmetics, and focusing on the quality of materials rather than processing them chemically. Now, listen to me, everybody. We can do that, can't we? And I know that there are starseed out there right this very evening who have significant futures, perhaps working in the mainstream, who will bring their light and their education and their gifts to helping us solve this problem for the future. We need you. We need you, some of you, to study science, to study chemistry, to invent new ways for the world to be, and the rest of you to, and the rest of us, I should say, uh, to choose our products with consciousness and to begin to participate any way that we can by reducing our consumption of plastic. All right, Anastasia's speech is finished. Let's go on. <laughs> um, Africa has declared itself free of wild polio. Wild polio, that's how they call it. The World Health Organization confirmed last week that the continent of Africa has defeated the polio virus. 
that's following a vaccination program first launched by Nelson Mandela so many years ago. Now, they tell us that this basis of declaration of the ending of polio uh, has been made four years to the date after its last recorded case. So it's been four years since there was a case in Africa. Now, in 1996, an estimated 75,000 children in Africa were paralyzed by wild polio. Um, But now uh, that has been eradicated. Now, complicating matters slightly, and you need to know about this, everybody. The article says this is a rare form of vaccine-derived polio that is still present in Africa. Yes, people do get polio from the vaccine, but this is the statistic that I think is important. They say there are 180 cases of that left. That's not wild polio. It's vaccine-derived. But it says that uh, actually there were 13 million cases of vaccinations uh, worldwide. So uh, given the amount of cases versus the number of of vaccinations, that is a small number of cases. So uh, the wild strain is gone, and now what's left are some of those that come from vaccines. Nevertheless... It's good. They've cleaned it up, and um, that is a cause for celebration. Now, um, how to dispose of masks safely. You know, we are being coached to wear masks, gloves. Good idea, considering the nature of things at the moment in our lives. But every month that the planet faces the coronavirus, there are an estimated, just an estimated, 200 billion disposable face masks and gloves uh, being uh, put into the environment. 200 billion. Now, they're telling us, animal activists are telling us that these items hurt animals by entangling them and in, by animals ingesting them. And so it's a problem. And so, what is the best way to dispose of face masks? Hmm. Well, put it in the trash, yes. But there's something maybe, maybe some of you have thought of, and maybe some of you haven't. They tell us that we should snip the earlobes, the ear loops in half with a pair of scissors, because we would be amazed at how many animals get tangled up in that elastic. And it's a problem for cats, for raccoons, squirrels, you name it, Um, not to mention marine creatures, uh, all types of wildlife are getting caught up. They're being found wrapped up in these elastic loops of the face masks and also sticking their heads into gloves and so on. So if we can, we ought to snip what we can. If we can do that safely and in a sanitary way, I might add, washing your hands after handling these things, they tell us not to throw it outside and don't set it down because the wind could pick it up and blow it away. So we need to be mindful of the disposal of these things, and I'm probably talking to the choir here, preaching to the choir about that. But I thought I might pass it along because actually I admit I had not thought about the loops. I'll bet many of you have since most of you are smarter than me. In fact, I have a niece who who came to me one day. I had purchased, um, I don't drink soda, I don't have anything to do with it. But someone that I was helping, a family member, wanted a some soda pops. And they came in that, you know, the cans came in that plastic thing where you pop them out of the plastic. And I started to toss that. And my young niece came to me and said, oh, oh, Aunt Anastasia, you've got to cut those. I said, really? Yes, animals get their heads caught in. I did not know that. So, you see, I don't think that we can assume that people know these things unless some wise person comes up and tells them. And so I'm sharing with you this article today because I had never thought of it. So 
So there you have it. Just slow ourselves down a little bit and be mindful about the things we discard and the way we discard them. Our final story for tonight is a great one. You know, England has some really progressive movements, I think, judging from the stories that I've shared with you on Starseed News. And Leeds in England, the city of Leeds, has a mission to spread altruism throughout the world. Leeds is going to launch its first Festival of Kindness this coming weekend with organizers seeking to foster greater unity after years and years and years of division in their country. You see, in 2018, Brexit was looming. Austerity was giving everyone economic pangs, and the culture wars in England were raging when a group of people living around the Jim Yang Buddhist Center in Leeds got themselves together to answer a simple question. How can we foster more kindness in the community? Mian, aren't you guys asking yourself this every day in this country? I am wondering, where has the kindness gone? Seriously. And I don't mean that in terms of just the emptiness of the word. You know, people around here sometimes put posters in their yard, be kind, and yet it doesn't help. Okay? So what can we do, really, to foster kindness, moving beyond the slogan of kindness? Well, what they did was they planned a series of events to explore kindness, ideas of kindness, and to get the appetite up for these kinds of conversations. It took them two years. They took their time. They worked it out. And they started this grassroots initiative to boost community spirit, which has evolved into this inaugural Festival of Kindness. It's going to launch on the 6th of September. It's going to last a week. But now this year they're going to have to go online due to the pandemic. And the co-founder said, it means that we are now global. He was looking on the bright side. So they're going to host it on Zoom. It's called Leeds Festival of Kindness. It's open to anyone and has a different theme each day, exploring subjects such as kinder businesses, kinder relationships, and self-kindness. And it features a diverse lineup that reflects the festival spirit of openness. They said, the space that we're in is a space of respect for everybody and trying to make sure nobody gets left behind. We're putting a flag in the ground for people who want to see the values of kindness, compassion, and well-being as the prosperity we should be investing in. Wow, think about that. There's also going to be an emphasis, yes, on mental health and uh, how to create, get this, safe spaces for difficult conversations. Think about that. Wow. Hmm. How to have a difficult conversation. There's an art to that. If you Google that on the Internet, you'll find all kinds of interesting and helpful information and ideas about that. It's really important. How many of us ever think about how to approach a difficult conversation? Again, maybe many of you already do. Anyway, the organizer said, we want the kindness revolution in Leeds to spread to all cities in the U.K. and beyond. We encourage anyone who is involved in areas that relate to kindness, compassion, and wellness to join us and make this a national festivity of kindness in their own countries. All right, let's look that up. Maybe, uh, maybe some of you will get involved in that. I think it's wonderful. And now our quote for today going into the next two weeks. You'll all recognize it. I think it's really important in this time of struggle. And it comes from Lord of the Rings. You remember Sam. You remember Frodo and Sam sunk against this uh, ruined wall um, after they'd been attacked, exhausted. And I want to share with you 
what Sam said. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end, because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. That there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Ah, bless you, Sam. And from my heart to each one of you, have a beautiful two weeks, everyone. Many blessings and much love. Thank you, Ariel. Oh, thank you, Anastasia. That was a great, I had forgotten about that quote, so thank you for bringing it back. You so so uh, we'll see you in two weeks. You will indeed. Have okay. a great night. You too. Bye-bye. So uh, now I will get uh, Lavendar's mic open. And our guest, Maria. Okay. Maria, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have Thank you with you. us. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Lavendar, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Take it away. Okay. So, Maria, yes. I, I know that, that you and I have, um, you know, crossed many paths with many different people through the years. You and I are about the same age, and I know that, you had a lot of experience down in New Mexico at the same time that I did. So why don't we yep. just start by talking about you and how you became um, a intuitive starseed. Okay. Well, you know, it's really interesting because it, it actually it started when I was just really young, from the age of two to five, and I was born on a ranch. My parents were born in Mexico. I was first-generation Mexican-American. So I spoke no English, and then we had no neighbors. So my playground was a levee, Sacramento levee, all its little critters and bugs and trees and grass and all the elementals. We were all friends, I mean real friends. Nobody could tell me that they were not real or true or beautiful. They were. And that stayed with me for a long, long time. But my mother being very superstitious and not understanding that I could see things and I could see spirits. So it scared her. So she told me that if I would not stop that, the witch would come and take me. So I kind of didn't talk about it anymore for a long time. And like you're talking, I got married very young. And I start drawing on butcher paper. And at that time, husbands owned you. They kind of, they ruled. You did what you were told, and that was it. So in order for me to move along with my life and find something that was good and made me happy, I start drawing on butcher paper. I would get the groceries, come home, and get, you know, those little pencils, and I just color away. And his mother saw my work, and she says, oh, my gosh, that's beautiful. She went and bought me watercolor paper. 
So I started painting, painting away. Well, that disturbed the husband because I made it into an art show and my art was being recognized. So we went off to the desert. At that time, we moved to New Mexico and Arizona. And there I had small children and I would lay out on the dirt because we lived in a small trailer. And at nighttime, I'd go out there and stare at the universe. It just was so alive. And it was just so real. I could see things moving, flashing stars and ships. And I didn't have nobody to say, hey, look, look, look. And at that time, I really made the connection that I came from there, that the star death was hitting me and telling me, this is where you were born. And from that time on, I was really curious. I had to know more. So I started going to bookstores and buying used books and hiding them so I could read them and learn more about all the things that I saw. And before I knew it, you know, time had passed. And we have moved back to Sacramento. And as time went on, I got back into my art world. And pretty soon I was doing great, a lot of artwork. And I was still inspired by that little kid on the Sacramento River with that vivid, 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 bright colors that Mother Nature is. And her trees would talk to me and I could feel Mother Earth breathe. So I listened to that and I would follow the brush strokes and whatever she showed me, whatever I heard, I put it down and I would color it that. And one color would talk another color and I would just go one color to the other. And I always had that since I was real tiny. But then I finally got to the point where I could go to college and learn a lot of classes because I, I, I knew what I had in me. I knew an unknown feeling I could talk to spirits and they would talk to me and I saw auras and, and everything. And, and I just didn't know quite how to handle all that. In New Mexico, I was just inundated with orbs. We had a little ranch out there, and those orbs would come in, and pretty soon I said, okay, that's enough. The bad orbs, low-line spirits, please go away, and only the highest orbs could come in. And they had faces, and I still have pictures of their faces. And they would come in, and they would just give me advice. I could hear them, and I went ahead and start writing at that time because I could hear them, you know, write your book, write your book, write your book. And that was the first book I wrote when I lived in Demi, New Mexico. And they just, you know, showed me my path, show me how to do this. So I kept studying and studying, and I was back in California in 1990. I got a great job, enough money to pay for my classes. And at that time, I went ahead and learned all that I could to college classes to learn more and psychology. And I wanted just, I was hungry for knowledge, really hungry. And then I met this wonderful person that she turned out to be my best friend, Joanne. She taught me, she was my teacher of metaphysics. And I stayed there for four years, and we had a lot of guests come in from all different, you know, uh, me- methods of learning and, and 
what what it was to be psychic, what it was to read the auras, what did it mean, how many chakras we had, and how to time travel, how to get up there and meditate so deep that you stayed up in the highest, 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 you know, dimensions and go in to see your spaceship and go in to see these beautiful entities long and slender and bright color and just beautiful, beautiful. So I learned at that time how to be a really great teacher, how to be a Reiki master, and, and instead of just being a psychic medium, I became a psychic of many, many, many different things because I had so much knowledge, and I, I taught and learned myself and took classes. I took astrology. I took handwriting. I took palmistry. I took tarot cards. I took anything that somebody knew. I wanted to know what they knew. And then you walked into my life, and you put the bow on the top, on the top of this beautiful gift I was giving because you told me about the star seed and that I had the star, you know, the signs and all the star markings, and that was how you validated all the experiences that I had, and I knew that I was that person, complete, because everybody gave me some information, but you gave me all the information, and that's oh my how my life kind of went. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I didn't know you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because I was that was really, because, you know, I took so many classes, and I went to so many things. When I, At the beginning, I had to hide books, you know, from husbands. They didn't like, you know, that uh, woman having that type of knowledge. So I used to hide books. I used to go in the middle of the night outside and read with a flashlight or in the shed or wherever I could. So when I finally had my own money, my own job, learning was a priority. And that's where I studied even more art and really became an expert at watercolor. And so that's, that's how I made it into so many shows because my, my watercolor was just popping. I mean, beautiful, beautiful. And nobody could understand how I could paint such abstract and how, where did it come from. And I keep telling people, I just hear it. <laughs> Right. Well, you have sent me so many different um, examples of your artwork through the years, uh-huh. and I, I, I just I really love everything you've done. In fact, I, I I talked to you and said you need to put all of these on cards. You need to do some star seed cards. So then yes. you start working on that, and I know you're not complete with it yet, and we will no. eventually help you get them out there. But I really think that your artwork is just over the moon. I, I really love everything that you've ever sent me. Oh, so, everything's been inspired from, you know, the universe and all my beings that come down and talk to me and they take me up there. There is no doubt about that at all, you know, because it, they, they do. They're just, they're amazing, amazing, amazing. And so, yeah, I'm working on it and it's going to be fabulous. It's going to be extremely fabulous. And that's what I'm saying. You know, you've guided me so much through so many things that projects that I wanted to do, and and you said, "Go for it, girl." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now, have, how many books? How many books have you written? I have written three. This last one on the wings of my uh, on wings of, of of my dragonfly on the wings of my dragonfly, and the reason that I wrote that is because I have a great grandson. That he's just like me, extremely, extremely um, talented and psychic 
and can see spirits, and he reminds me of me. So I wrote this book, and I dedicated it to him. So when he gets older, and a lot of this that he sees, and, and that's his world will be pro- programmed out of him, I wanted him to go back and read that and go back to the roots and go back to know that he was born a starseed. That's important okay. to me, and this is why I wrote that book. That's great. So uh, did you did you write that recently, or have you had that some time? And just now no, actually, I wrote that in the past year. You know, little by little, the information kept coming in. And, and it took me about a year to finally put the thoughts together. And I decided to make it a quick read, like maybe 44 pages long, because I wanted to all the meat of what was important, you know, about being young and believing your your youngsters trust what they see and what they trust. And, you know, say it's not make believe it's their real world and that real world is you know all markings of being you know from different galaxies and all that and I don't want them completely programmed out of children so this is why I, I dedicate this book to all young kids and parents pay attention to your children don't tell them that it's foolish and it's make believe because it's not they're just showing who they truly are so, yeah, this one here took me about a year to try to get it down just right to make it simple and have everybody kind of get a, a taste for it and understand it. And that way they would go on their own path to look up, you know, what they needed to know. Because there's so many people out there on a knowing feeling. They know things, but they can't validate that knowing feeling unless something sparks that curiosity. Well, I knew that. Hmm. And then you read something or hear something on the news or a newspaper. Hmm. I knew that. And that's that knowing feeling that I always have and still do. <laughs> well, that's why I de- Go ahead. Yeah, a lot, a lot of times you and I have talked about how we have to let belief systems go bye-bye because our knowing steps in. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It totally does. And always trust that gut feeling. Get out of that brain, you know, that monkey brain, and just let that heart lead, let that love lead. Because people forget, you know, how to love. I mean, truly love yourself. That's my one number one rule. Love yourself. Because once you love yourself, you love everything. You love every human, every animal, Mother Earth, universe, everything all life, everything, you just love it. You can't help but love it when you know yourself and you love everything else. That's, that's your teacher is self-love. That is the most important thing people have to learn, really how to love themselves. And apparently it seems to be one of my hardest uh, uh, times I have in teaching people is how to love themselves, <laughs> believe it or not. It seems yeah. simple, but apparently it's not. Well, that so many people want to... Uh, stay in denial about who they are, and when they stay yes. in denial, they can't, they can't get to their records. Nope, they can't. They really can't. Yeah. And that's when I, I have my classes to this day. You know, I can, it depends on who sits before me. If relatives want to come in, I can give them the message and connect them up. But my most important thing is for them to understand who they are and to bring out their talents you know, and have them understand that they can tap that. They really can. They know as much as I do. They just don't trust what they hear and what they see. They're not trusting that. Like you say, they just kind of shut down and don't believe it. Right. But, you know, most generally everybody has 
you know, musicians, artists, uh, singers, all that. All these come from that place, from the Palladian families, universe up there. It's 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 the gift of life, and you and they love. They love very deeply. They're really committed. And so this is where all that comes from, is that knowingness, you know, being part of the whole universe. And like I said, when I teach all the chakras, that is all information is up there, all of it. Quantum field, everything is up there. Your higher self, everything is up there. So it's amazing what you can discover for yourself if you just take the time to love yourself, go into a deep meditation, and take off. <laughs> so so let, me, let, me, let me ask you about Silver City. How uh-huh. long did you live in Silver City, New Mexico? Uh, actually, I lived in Deming, New Mexico, and I we lived there, and uh, it's only about 20 miles from where I lived, and we lived there about eight years. And I went and studied shamanism, how to be, be a shaman, and not to be one, but to study it. And so I learned a lot because um, my my husband, the father of all my children, was American Indian. And I wanted to learn more about that tradition. And so that was another door that I opened and tapped into. And I had a big medicine wheel in the back of my house that attracted the orbs. And also uh, I could go into a deep meditation and other people that wanted to come and sit and just listen. But, yeah, that's where I had so many experiences. I even had uh, photographers and newspaper come out and and sit in the medicine wheel and take pictures of the orbs. And I told them, you know, it's not really specifically about the orbs. It's about sitting quiet and letting the universe come down and whisper to you. So they did, and it was a it was a really wonderful time to be up there in the desert and town was so tiny and and it was just a wonderful experience to teach there and to be there and uh, I really loved it, but I also loved my family here in California, so I came back home <laughs> yeah okay okay well i spent, I spent quite a bit of a time in in New mexico i my first place to to speak about anything like this was in Silver yeah. City. I thought you were in Silver City, but Silver City is pretty close to Deming, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I used to drive up yeah. there all the time, and that's yeah. the only place that had sage, you know, to I learned how to sage and how to use it and the tobacco and all the, the, the Native American, you know, ways of doing things and, you know, tapping into that. But, yeah, no, it's very, very close. I love Silver City. I used to go up there all the time, yeah, yeah. and that's where my teacher was. So it was wonderful. I mean, a lot of people from over there came into Damon and vice versa for the restaurants and, you know, and everything. Because it was not so much, you know, Damon is a lot of hotels and restaurants. And Silver City was a lot more friendlier as far as, you know, being in in different, you know, type of atmosphere. So I love Silver City. It's one of my favorite places. Right. So did you ever get over to Rio Dosa and, and the area, White Sands? Did you have yep. any experiences Seeing ships or anything in that area? I did when I was in the when I was in the sands and those white sands, and it was me. I love the night, you know. It's, it's just nothing like the night, and you can see the ships streaking by, and I would say, "Look, look, it's a ship!" And you know, right here in Mount Shasta, we have the same ships coming and going, and I see them. So they have taken pictures of them landing right there in Mount Shasta at the very top. I have a, 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 
an, an American Indian friend of mine, but he's a shaman. And he also, he has come to my house, and I'm going to his to take me up there. But, yeah, there's a lot of amazing activity, and that's where I learned was at the desert. When I was in White Sands, we pulled up, and it was nighttime, and I just looked up there, and I saw them. You know, you could just see the ships, if you know what you're looking for. Somebody said, oh, it's a shooting star. You know, people always have an, an idea of what it is, but for what it really is. You know, and they do camouflage themselves, you know, only that, like in Shasta, when they're coming down into the mountain, you can see them really clear. So how how, how yeah. far are you from Mount Shasta now? Oh, it's about three-hour drive from here. It's, yeah. And it's amazing because this house is dead north. Right? I live right in, if I took follows of a bird, I can fly directly over there. So I'm on the same line, you know, that there, that Shasta is. So I get a lot of that energy over here, and that's why I put up a small medicine wheel to tap into that energy because a medicine wheel means contacts. It means gatherings. It means, you know, every, everything is one. Everything is, is uh, connections. And so I stay connected to Mount Shasta from here, and it really is wonderful. And the other side, the south side, that's where the other place, um, oh, what's the name of that? Everybody goes up there on vacation. I can't think of the name of it right now. But so I'm right in the middle between two beautiful, beautiful cities that attract, you know, a lot of UFOs, they call them. But they're just spaceships. I've been to mine, and it's really a beautiful one. I live on the third floor, and we travel with the with the commander. He's an amazing. I just heard his voice. I have not seen him, but I don't need to because I hear his voice when he talks to everybody when we're on his spaceship and shows us, you know, all the entities coming and going and different people they come and go, you know, on the spaceship and back down. So, yeah, it's something that I've gotten really used to. And, you know, I don't have a lot of friend friends because I try to speak with them of what I know, and they roll their eyes and they just kind of walk away. <laughs> well, you don't, you need to only speak to people like us that are starseeded. I do, I do, and that's where the spiritual center comes in because they have a stargate there, and they hold those, and they hold other people. You know, they come in and they give classes, they give drumming or they give talks or the shaman comes and and so they do so i like you told me i would someday i would tweak and people would find me and i would find them well this place that i go to over here and 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 uh, it's just that the gathering of all these beautiful minds that we're all alike we think alike we are alike and it's just absolutely most beautiful place in the world because we're all like minds so I finally found, you know, my home. <laughs> that's <laughs> my great. spiritual center. Yeah. You know, that's the way we feel about our starseed quest when people come here. First of all, you have to have the star markings before you're ever invited. But then when Correct. you walk through the door, then you start seeing everybody that you know maybe from other lifetimes. It's quite a it's quite a thing to witness at our starseed quest. You know, we've been doing them now for over 7 years. And we had wow. to cancel we had to cancel March, May, August and September, and hopefully we'll get to do October and November. But who knows? Who knows what's about yeah, to be yeah. bringing to the planet? I did want to ask you this: uh-huh. Do you have any knowledge about walkouts and walk-ins, people that are coming 
like now that we're having this, you know, major scrub. Yeah, on I the call them drop-ins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had that experience right there at the uh, spiritual center, and all of a sudden you see them, they come in, and they look kind of dazed and kind of confused, and I ask them, well, I says, you must be a drop-in. Because when you're born, you come in with your little suitcase kind of, and you have all these tools in it that you'll need for healing, for learning, for getting along. And then you, you actually, when you look at them, you can see them as beings, and they're carrying this little satchel-like thing with all that they'll ever need, you know, for everything on this lifetime here on this planet and the human body. And so you can see them where there might be 20s or they can be late 50s. And you can see the drop-ins because they look confused, but they know that they're supposed to be there. But they don't know why yet. Oh, wow. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed about about certain walk-ins is, is at the nursing homes. I, uh-huh. when, my, when my parents were in the nursing home, there was a lady that sat out front in a, in a wheelchair and mm-hmm. she had she had this smile on her face and her and her and her eyes would light up and mm-hmm. the more that i saw her and the more i was uh, uh, monitoring her i realized that a high being had had stepped into her body and she was holding the light not only for the nursing home she was holding the light for the whole town yeah yeah, I've seen that. I don't see it often, but I have seen that. That's why I didn't know, you know, you talking about walking, I call them drop-ins, because you can see their eyes just sparkle, you know, and it, it's amazing because that sparkle is pure love, pure acceptance, and there's no really reason why, but they do, and you feel very comfortable and soothing to be around them because it's like to have this beam, you know, that just radiates this around them, and it's just beautiful to see. Yeah, I see that in the center. Not often, but I do see it. Yeah, and during this pandemic, I've I've had several nurses and doctors to tell me that they're part of a meta-surgery, taking people out and bringing walk-ins in. They're very aware Ah. of this happening. And they contact me and tell me about it, which is really, which is really strange at times. Oh, <laughs> a, no kidding! Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Hey, yeah. We need we need all the help that we can get. <laughs> really, yeah. I know it, it, we live in amazing times. That's for sure. And I do believe, like, in our work and everything that we do, we are what is healing this planet. You know, we need healers on this planet, as many as we can get. And I believe that's why there's more drop-ins that I've seen lately anyway. And that's why, you know, like, uh, that's why this book, I created this book, because I want people to understand they can become healers of this planet without really having to even learn anything, just to love it, everything about it. Yeah. Well, you writing this book in 44 pages, that means you can probably sit down and read it in an hour, right? Oh yeah, definitely. That's why I did it. You know, that's why I did it in such a short, you know, little story. Is because it was important. And you know, people pick up a book and yeah, okay, and you repeat too much or you go too much into too detail, they put it down. This one is a short read. You can, you know, really quick go through it, and it it makes sense to anybody that's you know just learning. And this is why I did that, because when I was at my great-grandson's birthday party, he kept seeing this period, and he kept, you know, talking and jammering on. He's just learning to speak. And I 
turned around, and I looked at him, and he looked frustrated and mad and arguing. So I sat down with him on the floor, and I asked him, what is it, baby? And he says, there, and he pointed his finger, boy. And I said, what boy? And he, boy. And then I turned around, and sure enough, there was this little boy. And he says, well, he says, he's a nice little boy. And he shakes his head, no, bad, bad. And I says, oh, well, then tell him, go away. And he'll go away. So he says, just tell him, don't come near me, go away. And that's what he did. <laughs> so that was my first clue, and he was just three. <laughs> so he kind of did an avalanche of, of how, I go, how I went about this book and why I was going to write this book. So oh, that's, I that's how I, this book came to life, is trying to explain it to that little boy when he's older. And his parents yeah. could read him the book, or he could read it himself and find out what I saw in him, that I recognized who he was. Well, I'm real anxious to get a copy of this. I, I wasn't able to get one before this uh, interview, but I'm really looking forward to you sending me one when they become available. I certainly will. As soon as I get them, they, they printed some, but they weren't incorrect. So I told them, no, no, this is not acceptable. So as soon as I get my new print, you'll be the first to get my my book, for sure. At this time, I'd like to share you with my co-host, Arielle. So okay. it's been my it's been my pleasure, Maria, talking to you. I always Thank love you very, you. very much. And I always love you sending me all those artwork that you do. I keep sending them because they really inspire me every time I see one. And, and we do want to help you with your starseed cards when, when you finally get everything finished. Hopefully that we'll be able to have the funds to help you do that because I, I want to do that for you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, like I said, you, you know, you're more than welcome to, you know, make the cards, have the cards, just put my name that I've made the paintings. Other than that, it's all yours because I'm here to share and to be make the better world a better place. And that's what it takes. That's what I'll do. Well, since you're here, it is a better place. So back to you, <laughs> back to you, Ariel. Okay. Wow. Hello. Maria. Hello, I just, I love your energy. You are just so vibrant. And and that's, <laughs> Thank that, you. you know, I, I just, I really appreciate that. And um, I remember when I was uh, reviewing the materials that you sent in, um, uh-huh. you were talking about your journey back to childhood. Uh, yes. what, what did you mean by that? Well, the thing was, like, you know, I, I we forget our childhood. You know, we just get programmed. My parents programmed me about how to be a lady, how to be a wife, how to be a mother, and there's this heavy program. A grammar school, a heavy program, you know, don't do this, don't do that, sit down, be quiet. You know? So there's all these rules, and then you go into high school, more rules. So they're really, you're really limited to how you can think and behave. So the the whole thing about it is that it it sparked a memory of I says okay I'm going to go back to that childhood. So I went into a very deep meditation and went back in there to be two, three, four years old again. And at that time I saw my levy so vivid, the colors, the greens, the smells, the air, the bees, the the dragonfly jumped on and got on top and went down the Sacramento River right above the water and into other rivers. And, you know, I remember that I really, really did that. It wasn't my imagination. And so he got all those memories blown back up. 
and I couldn't remember a couple of years or so. I, a friend of mine that's a hip, hypnotic person hypnotized me, and I went further back into my childhood to remember everything that I had forgotten or put away or, you know, did not remember anymore. So that gave me the clarity and gave me the inspiration to go in there and look at Maria when she was just a tiny little girl and how she really felt about her world and what she saw. And so that's what I did, and that's how I did it. Wow. Well, what a gift that you were able to um, to do that. And um, yeah, I know that I've, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that – that lost something in childhood, as you said, it, it gets programmed mm-hmm. out, and that mm-hmm. it's such a um, a typical uh, starseed kind of story when yeah, you know, and and you've got these gifts and abilities, and then um, you know then you get you start getting loaded up with rules, and yep. and you know people telling you that um, you know what you're seeing isn't isn't real yeah that it's all false yeah stop that you know quit daydreaming you know that yeah oh absolutely absolutely and and, you know to find your inner child is is the best thing anybody can do oh you know go back absolutely yeah yeah because like i said there are a lot of star seeds that that came in and and they were you know telling their parents oh there's you know there's grandma standing over there they were seeing people on the other side (laughs) And 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 the parents immediately um, either either they say you can't tell people that you can do that, or or they completely say they they you know um, devalue that and say oh you're not that's not true that's not real, and and then the kids will just start believing it, and then at some point, um, if they're lucky, something will happen that will reactivate. Those, exactly. Those exactly. Were, so they have to that follow were, that yeah. gut feeling, that that hint, like you know, you feel something and it's pulling at you, you know, to draw or read or whatever, and people ignore it. They really do, and that's unfortunate, you know, because it really is, and and that's kind of how I felt, and I knew there was something missing because that was a, so much fun living out there and just being wild as a jackrabbit. It really was, and to play with Mother Nature and be part of her. So, yeah, children, unfortunately, like you say, there's so many that pretty soon they just dummy down and they learn new stuff, you know. And it's right. very unfortunate because they are so talented. And and pretty soon they do find out. Sometimes it takes them a long time. It took me 40 years to learn what I knew when I was little. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I really, I really understand. I, I mean, it's it's such a a um, a common theme uh, among yes. star seeds. But yes. you know, I mean, you have you have had a lot of education. You've studied, you know, anything metaphysical. I mean, when you oh, went absolutely. through that list of things, it's like a, I don't I don't think you missed anything. You've got you've got all those <laughs> all that you know, learning and education. Um, yeah. And what would you now say to uh-huh. um, our listeners that are that are just starting out? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, just they're just in college. They haven't really 
um, you know, hit their stride, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you would you give them um, to help them unlock things that might have been, um, you know, stuffed away in a closet? Yeah, well, I would say to them to really, you know, go back and and entertain the idea of your inner child. And if you get an idea, follow that idea through. I don't care if it's scribbling, if it's a notepad where you sit or a certain program or a newspaper you pick up. If you have an idea, no matter how silly it sounds or how mundane, and it's your idea, follow through with that idea and see where it takes you because one idea leaps into another idea and another idea, and pretty soon you're buying a book that has those ideas in it. You say, aha, so that's what I was thinking. So ideas turn into wonderful, wonderful, it's a path, it's a road, it's a road marker. Go here, go there, and that's what ideas are, and that's where ideas took me into painting, and it took me into learning because I had an idea. And that idea was a wonderful path that I took. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful. And I never stopped learning. I'm still learning all the time, you know, many, many different things. And so I have many favorite things. I don't have one thing. But, yeah, and, and same thing as when I wanted to do channeling. I thought, nah, I don't want to inspire it inside my body. But then I learned how to actually do it, and it was fine. <laughs> My mom scared me. She was very superstitious. And so when I was telling her about the spirit lady and and her little child with her, it scared her. And she told me, no, 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 don't look at no spirits. The witches will come and get you. So, you know, parents know how to scare us kids real well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Ideas. Yeah. Follow every, any, I don't care how minute or how well you are or how lonely you are or what's going on in college or high school or any, if you have any idea, what it, we all have ideas during the daytime. Follow that idea. You know, that's, you know, and that's, there's, there's got to be a, a, a level of uh, self-confidence and, um, and trust that if mm-hmm. you're given, if you're given that inspiration, mm-hmm. um, that it means something. To you know, and so to to honor that, and and follow through. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, is, this, um, is this some of the the like a topic in your book? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay, it most yeah, certainly so. is because it, it gives you you know an idea, not only an idea, but it gives you a path that this some of that stuff that I wrote in there you have experienced and you thought about. But you said no, 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 and, you know, whether it was parents, whether it was a friend, whether it was a teacher, a job or something, that they tell you no, no, and you shut down. But this book opens you up to possibilities. Is this possible? Could that really be true? And it just sparks, you know, that possibility in you. Well, I thought that one time. It just opens the door for possibilities that you're that way. And pretty soon you'll find out whether you are or not. If you are, your curiosity will pick up. What if? Oh, yeah. You know, but that's what it is. It's just being curious and looking into what's possible. Yeah, well, you, I guess you know we don't learn anything um, if we're just doing what we're told. 
exactly. and that's, that could be perpetuating programs that get passed down from generation to generation to generation. Oh, I know that. Yeah. I know my parents yeah. were from Mexico. I'm first, you know, Mexican-American generation, and that was really hard. My brother still, you know, they just don't buy into that who I am. <laughs> They're well, not having it, my brothers. <laughs> They're just really well, old school, you know, macho guys. And it's really interesting because I, you know, I it is for especially it depends on your culture that sometimes it's really difficult to break through. But I was determined to follow that hunch. I wanted no more. I was really hungry to understand. And like I said, I didn't fit in anywhere because I couldn't talk to anybody but what interests me. You know, what made me happy, what was my excitement. And as soon as you start talking about it, people would just, you know, give you that look. So I just stopped talking to people and just start, you know, reading and educating myself more. But, yeah, a culture has a lot to do with how you're not allowed to learn. And if you are, you have to do it secretly for a long time. And then you can come out and say, well, I know this, I know that. But it takes time to break away from tradition sometimes. And it's very difficult at times. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you are um, you are part of Lavendar's generation, mm-hmm. and, yes, and I am. you were really, really the um, like the leading edge, of, you know, of that, of that generation holding the yes. door and being the bridge from that very rigid, you know, programmed three um, D yes. kind of life and teachings. And then yeah. slowly, now as as times have evolved, um, I mean, you and Lavender were just ahead of your time, but yeah. someone yeah. had someone had to um, someone had to do it, you know. Really yeah, glad. exactly. Well, you know, I have children and grandchildren, great grandchildren that are just like me, so that's what makes it so wonderful. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's that's. I mean, uh, you have a great grandchild. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure do. Oh, and is that the one that was was um, seeing things? That's the one that 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 yeah that that got me interested and got me going back to when I was a child. He inspired my writing this book because all of a sudden he triggered my my thoughts of when I was his age, and that he could see spirits, and I didn't want that to go past. And he wouldn't remember seeing spirits and his parents telling him, no, no. And, and uh, you know, so I wanted this book to dedicate it to him so he can go back and say, well, you know, he calls me granny. She knew that I could see things. And so, therefore, it's legit to him, you know, what he thinks and when he sees. Right. And we're very close. He just, oh, he just lights up when I see him. And he runs and almost knocks me over with such big hugs and kisses. He's a He's a wonderful Aww. young man. He's already, I think, six or seven. He's getting up there in age already. But, yeah, right. it's, it, it is wonderful. It really sincerely is. But, no, I agree that sometimes our path is difficult and it takes a long time. But it's really worth it because I pass it on to my children and their children. And the ones that are already a lot like us, you know, they just hear me, you know, and, and they can come to me and they recognize their knowledge. So that's what's amazing about all this. Like you said, we open the door and kids and grandkids and great grands are walking right through. Yeah, and it's it's getting easier, um, even in the last you know, decade. 
uh-huh. we have we've been online for 11 years and when we first mm-hmm. started just that recent um yeah you know if you put if you put starseed um in a search engine mm-hmm. nothing almost nothing would come up and yeah. now there's page after page after page and and you know i mean and this this is i mean to for people to talk about ufos i mean that was just yeah. really taboo and you'd be you'd kind of be branded be branded as a kook um uh, but but that's oh, really tell me. Um, i heard it <laughs> yeah you got that too didn't you so that, oh, absolutely I mean, <laughs> but now i mean kids that kids that were born you know, in the '90s or um, after after you know 2000, uh-huh. they are different. They are different, and they are they know they're different. And a lot of them, I think, are being born awake. Yeah, and they didn't. They, I believe they don't that. Have to... I believe that. That's like this is my great grandson. They're he's, they're awake, and I have another granddaughter. I mean, they are. They they wake up that way, and they look like old souls when you look in their eyes. I mean, they just sparkle like the universe, and and happy and excited. And it's just that you know when you see an old person, you look at their eyes, and they're young and youthful and happy, and that's what they those little kids look like. So yeah, no, absolutely, they're waking up. Absolutely. Yeah, and no I think it'll be that. easier. It'll be easier for them because um, you know we've had waves. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you and you and Lavendar were like the first wave, and then yep. you know the, the children of that generation um, have continued to open the door for the next generation, and yep, and, it, my and children it keeps have, getting yeah. the doors open wider and wider and wider. Um, yes. To the point now that um, it's almost commonplace. If you, if you, I you know, know you this is, and that's what's so exciting. And, that is what's yeah. so exciting is that that door is wide open. It really is. I think it is anyway. Well, it it is as wide as it's ever been. Yeah, and it and yeah. it continues and it continues. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I, mean I had I did a reading the other day for um a girl that was 17. So she mm-hmm. was she was born after 2000, 2003 actually. Mm-hmm. And I mean it was like talking to a much older person. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And that makes me hopeful. It makes me hopeful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as, as long as they can, you know, stay off of their cell phones. Uh, because that's that's a program that's a program that is really um, detrimental. And, yes, and, it is. No, I, I I completely agree with you. It's just it's great, but it it really does take over a child's mind. You know, young teenagers especially, but even little ones. You know, they play all these games and and they get on those phones and texting, fan, you know, friends. And and the older you get, the more friends, the more collection. And you know, I agree. No, I agree. So I think you know their parents take them out camping and and let them run around <laughs> well, <laughs> like they're yeah. supposed to. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's I mean, that's the only obstacle. That I mean, in my opinion, that yeah. that the that the millennials have to overcome, and maybe yeah. not so much. Maybe their parents are more open-minded, and maybe their parents yeah. are more spiritual. But then mm-hmm. they they you know, and 
anybody under 16, it should be illegal. And I know that's going to make a lot of teenagers up, uh, unhappy. <laughs> but because the, 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 a child's skull is uh-huh. not fully thickened, it's not fully developed until they're 16. So they yeah, have less protection against the radiation from cell phones. And, and starseed yeah. kids are more vulnerable to that. And besides the fact that it's turning them into automatons, like little zombie robots, um, yeah, and yeah. it and it that's that's I think the next hurdle is to disconnect um, mm-hmm. from the cell phones. And I mean, I mean, it's a wonderful thing if you're, uh, you know, in an emergency situation or if you're lost. It's really handy thing to have around, but it can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, parents cannot. No, I allow know. The you know what's really amazing? You tell a child fourteen, fifteen, you know, thirteen, sixteen, that they're children, they're babies, and they get mad at you. No, I'm not. You know, they really get angry because if if you call them, you know, still a child. <laughs> yeah. They really have no no knowledge of you know what a child is, and and to them it's an insult, but it really is not. It's just they're not grown. Their bodies have not developed completely. Like you say, the brain right. and, and the head and everything. And they don't understand that. And not unless they, you know, they're, they want to learn about it. But that's not something that really is on their radar. Not There are st- some that are awake. They're born awake. And, you know, they're out there trying to do different and change things. There really is. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. I know that they they are out there. Um, but it, it just... <laughs> it it seems like like you know I mean yeah it, kids they want to be older they want to be mm-hmm. uh, treated more like adults um, but if you are <laughs> going to be treated like an adult then you have to have that kind of wisdom and and a lot of them don't to see that yeah um, yeah that this is harmful yeah and it's yeah. actually going to it's going to um, um, affect their mission. Because yeah, because will. the star seeds um, are more vulnerable to that to that EMF, but mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. there are things that you can do. There are you know uh, containers that you can put your phone in. There are you mm-hmm. know things like uh, elite shungite that you can do. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how I got off on this <laughs> cell phone rant, but <laughs> it's it's really um, now that we got past the the generation that that. Uh, tries to limit, you know, what the child is experiencing, you know, I think exactly. parents are a lot more yeah. open, um, yeah. but that's, that's a good thing, but it's not, now we have something else, another hurdle that they have to get over. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it yeah. kind of exchanging um, one problem for another problem. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I understand what you're saying, and yeah, no, yeah. honestly, it's just that they they don't see that because they're too young to have that knowledge, and and unfortunately, and it's really difficult to talk to them. Like here in my house, at ten o'clock, all phones go off here, and I leave them in a whole other room. I don't want them anywhere near me, and anything else because it, it's not necessary. Somebody needs to call me; they can call me on my landline if it's really an urgent call. Other than that, right. no, I don't have cell phones around. No, it, it's just a disruption for me. I only have it, you know, when kids are communicating with me back and forth. And other than that, no, because it does disrupt. It really does. Well, yeah, I mean, 
when I, I, I just the other day I was I was um, in a waiting room, and there mm-hmm. were children and parents in there, and the parents want uh, to uh, you know maybe talk to the the uh, the doctor and mm-hmm. and the children they just here here take the phone and and it came to me that those phones are like radioactive pacifiers. Yeah, just they are. Just to the kids. It's like here you here you go. Here, Keep yourself go, entertained. Go because watch this and I'm, get out of my out of my hair. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, but, I no, yeah, they, I, I've always said that. I always yeah. have said that. But that's not a good thing when you you leave your phone for as a babysitter. You know, to me, it's a babysitter, and that's what it, it is. is. Yeah, you know, but it's radioactive. With a tablet or phone, <laughs> it's still a yeah. babysitter, and that's not good. Yeah, I mean, television. Um, Television was was my babysitter, but um, but we were only you know we were restricted. Okay, you, yeah. you can't be watching it all day long. You can watch your favorite yeah. show, and then then it's time to go do something else. But yeah. Um, yeah. I want to get get back to um, your book, your your website, um, mm-hmm. and your website has some just gorgeous. The gallery, just oh, thank you. Uh, I mean. I was just sitting there with my mouth open going, oh, my gosh, look at that one. Oh, look at that one. Oh and I have a lot more paintings to put in there because uh, I had to have pictures taken of them to put them up. So I just recently had 54 paintings. I uh, had the photographer take pictures of them. So I'm going to have to, you know, load those up there. But, yeah, like right now I'm working in another one. But, yeah, no, I I love painting. It just calls to me. I just I just have to. But I I start out with an idea, and the painting takes over, and it tells me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have um, – did you do, like, murals in your house or your walls just one No, color? I do not. I have large canvases that I have that. But, no, I have not done any murals um, because I really haven't had the space or I haven't had the walls in or anything like that. And people have asked me to do murals for them, but I can tell them it's permanent, so they kind of think about it and then decide not to. But I thought about going downtown in Sacramento where a lot, most, a lot of buildings have murals and do that, but I've been so busy around here lately that I haven't really had the opportunity to, you know, to do that. But, no, I do have large canvas. Uh, from watercolor, I went over to uh, acrylics because canvas is easier to frame and cheaper than uh, watercolor. So I can buy nice big canvases, and they really look great. Oh, wonderful. So um, I want to tell everyone once again that your website is Maria, M-A-R-I-A, and is it Garay? Garay? Yeah, Garay. Garay, G. G A R A Y Reynolds R E Y N O L D S dot com. Um Correct. and on there you've got you've just got a whole lot of content. Not only your yes. artwork and your and your books but um yeah. and do you do um do you do sessions with people? Do you teach you I have haven't classes? recently in the past year. Um mostly is because uh, 
you know, they, it's really time-consuming, and sometimes when I have the chance, I'll call them back, and I don't charge a fee because I have never really charged for healing work. And so if I feel their energy and I talk to them and it's a healing, I don't usually charge them. If they want more than that, then I will. But if it's just the first session, I personally don't charge them because to me it's more of a healing. But first I have to read their energy and I have to read them and have to ask permission from their spirit if I can look at them and if I can do a healing work on them first. And then the rest comes later. Okay. I used and to do it when I had an office all the time, but I haven't had an office in, since I got back to California. Okay. Well, I mean, with with the Internet. Well, they can um, still connect yeah. with me in, in yeah. you know, yeah. on my email or my website, and I'll get back to them. And if it's important and they want to, yeah, I can do that as well. I just haven't done okay. it in a while because I've always had a, an office. Right, right. So, um well, this has just been a pleasure meeting you and, and speaking with you. I know you've been talking to Lavendar for years. Uh, yeah. But just, this has just been really a, a yeah, treat Yeah, we just me. became very close friends, and she's just a wonderful woman, wonderful woman. I cannot say enough about her. She's just yeah, been a terrific influence <laughs> in my life, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be who I am without her. So, And I think the list <laughs> of people that can say that, is growing every single day and has been for for years. She's empowered yes. so many people. So yes. we're all lucky and blessed to yes. um, to know Lavendar. Absolutely, to have her in our lives. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Maria, it has been a pleasure yes. having you with us tonight. Well, and, thank um, you for inviting me. Thank you. Very, I also very want to much. mention that um, your book is also available on Amazon as well as your website. Yes. Uh, on the wings of my dragonfly, you can find it on Amazon, yes. or you can go right to um, the website uh, MariaGareyReynolds.com, and Correct. also you can get the book there. Yes. So thanks, thanks so much for uh, taking time out to spend with us, and I'm it's giving you a pleasure. big hug. I'm giving you a big hug, and thank <laughs> you. you. <laughs> thank you so much. And when you get those cards done, you let us know, and we'll bring you back. Uh, so you can share Absolutely. it with everyone. Absolutely. I certainly will. <laughs> okay, Thank you. sweetie. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that is it for us this week. Uh, we'll be back two weeks from tonight. And until that time, give compassion in every day and live, <clears throat> live in gratitude. Until next time, good night, everyone. to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.